Heck yeah, Noobers, we back 2023. Welcome to the Noob Spirit Podcast. I am your host, Isaac, aka Shrek. Uh, Jeepers, we're in for a treat this year. We're starting off with an absolute banger. It's Robbie Peck. Uh, he was attacked by a th- estimated three meter bull shark um, late last year. And I got on the line with him again late last year. This is the first episode for 2023. It's a really good story, some profound insights. From surviving uh, a pretty, pretty brutal bull shark attack. So, um, yeah, enjoy this episode with Robbie Peck. Before we get there, I have a couple of cut. Well, I have more than a couple of shout-outs. I think I've got like three or four weeks of stuff I need to catch up on. So, bear with me for just a sec. But I tell you what, listening because there's a couple of real cool things in here. Australian actor Chris Hemsworth. Uh, you might know him from Thor. Uh, bloody good movies, particularly the ones directed by Tyker, in, in my opinion. He's got a show on Disney Plus called Limitless, and I started watching it. Um, episode one was a little bit cringy, but episode three, um, the actor's seen performing and practicing um, spearfishing. And he basically he consults with this longevity doctor, Peter Atia, who I've listened to on other podcasts, uh, really clever guy, and he talks about uh, the benefits of long-term fasting. Anyway, so Chris heads off on a spearfishing mission for three or four days, and sort of goes through, you know, you know, you know what it's like the the starting of spearfishing, how awkward it is, and he learns all those lessons. So episode three of Limitless, check that out on Disney Plus. Um, cracker review from the podcast. I even like his name. He calls himself Hunters Over Gatherers on Apple Podcasts Australia. Uh, his review is titled Mm-mm, Five Stars. Get your ears tickled by the best export New Zealand's ever given the world. Russell Crowe, eat your heart out. I would dive to my responsible maximum with Shrek watching my booties descend into the abyss any day of the week. Everything on this podcast is just so actionable. So, so actionable. Love the recent WA episode. You could tell you're in the motherland by the delightful sound of cans getting cracked open in the background the whole way through. Thanks, Isaac, for all your hard work you put in and the awesome actionable content. Did I mention Did I mention how actionable the content is? Anyway, someone buy this man a beer. Cheers, mate. Uh, mate, thanks for that review. I really, really enjoyed that. It was, gave me a good laugh. Um, Freshwater Worlds 2023 World Freshwater Spearfishing Tournament is now being hosted by the NFSA and will be held in Lake Powell in Page, Arizona from May the 16th to the 20th. Spearos from all over the world are traveling to compete in the largest freshwater spearfishing tournament in one of the largest man-made lakes in the U.S. Check out the event details at nationalfreshwaterspearfishing.org or freshwaterworlds.com and join these guys, Lake Powell, in 2023. I really want to get over there and do it one year. Um, it's been on the list. The COVID bubble was seems like it's bursting. I hope it is. And um, it looks like travel's open and, and we can go and do these things now. Check it out, freshwaterworlds.com. Um, David says, hey, Shrek, just wanted to congratulate you on the podcast. I stumbled across it online as I was preparing for a spearfishing trip to Madeira with old mates after a 20-year break from diving. The tips learned from the podcast and the 99 Tips for Spiros book plus Adam Stern's online freediving course went a long way towards turning our trip into a huge success. Thank you. So the episodes just seem to be getting better and better with the current WA Western Australia series being especially hilarious as well as ever informative. Thank you and well done. Cheers, David. Awesome review, mate. Um, Alejandro in the US says, Hey, Isaac, what a treat. 
99 spare recipes arrived today and it looks gorgeous. I can't wait to dive into it and start using it. It's dense, beautiful, and full of info. I appreciate very much what you've done for a sport I love. Keep it up. If you're ever in LA, California area, reach out and we can go on some killer kelp dives. So cheers for that, Alejandro. Guys, if you want a copy of 99 spare recipes and you do not have one, it's available in awesome spearfishing retail shops. So I'm going to bang out a quick list here. Spearfishing Superstore in Cairns, Spear West in uh, Perth, Boss Outdoor in Marimbula, Virgo's Tackle World in Wollongong, Batavia Coast Dive and Water Sports over there in WA. I've got all the Adreno stores have got them. Adreno Aspley, Adreno Wollongabba, they're both Brisbane stores. It's north and south. Adreno Gold Coast, Adreno Melbourne, Adreno Sydney and Adreno Perth. So check it out. These are the shops that have got on board and they are stocking 99 Spear recipes. I had a number of chats with um, some New Zealand spearfishing retailers as yet, I haven't had any success. I spent three or four hours on the on the horn talking to spearfishing shops all over and um, it wasn't a real pleasant experience, I'm going to be honest. Um, some of the things, the comments I got were, Spearos don't read. And I, I found it a little bit negative. So anyway, there's a, a bunch of spearfishing shops that have got on and they are stocking it. Um, I hope you guys are loving 99 Spirit Recipes and cooking up a storm and just, um, you know, how we how we continue to move forward and just make more out of our fish. And, and this book definitely celebrates that and this lifestyle that we love. Um, my boy Francisco has just moved down to Tasmania. Uh, uh, Francisco works for The Pressure Project with Adam Sellers. I love these blokes. I've taught courses with them. And um, if you go to pressureproject.com.au, check out um, Francisco's courses running in Tassie every month, particularly over summer, December, January, February. He's got um, courses up there. If you're in Tassie, check out Francisco. He's a he's an awesome bloke. Last but not least, before we get into this interview with Robbie, thanks for bearing with me. Ben, ben from Thwaites uh, Marine in Coffs Harbour. He's a legend, by the way. If you live in that part of the world, he would be the only guy I would have work on my boat. He said, hey, Shrek, massive congrats for the 99 Spare Recipes book. Laura gave, as his wife, Laura gave me a copy and another mate, workmate, and I. He said I expected it to be awesome, but I was blown away, and she was too. It's just epic. I can't wait to get into it and try a few recipes out. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I had a real good reception for the 99 spare recipes. I'm super stoked with the way it's landed in the community and um, and the reception it's had. Thanks for sharing so much of it around and um, and getting amongst the action. But hey, let's get into this episode. Robbie Peck, three meter bull shark survivor. Here we go. 2023, we're up and going. Adreno.com.au, the home of recipes, blogs, videos, equipment reviews, and an obnoxiously large range of spearfishing equipment for frothers like you. Not only that, but spearfishing trips and courses, courses and trips that I sometimes get to go on. Check them out at adreno.com.au. It's a Spiro's best friend. Check them out, and if you want to buy gear, Pump in the code NoobSpiro to save $20 on every purchase over $200. You can use that online, in-store. Use the code NoobSpiro, save some cash, and support the NoobSpiro podcast. Shop with adreno.com.au. Neptonics.com source the very best in spearing gear from around the planet. Jerry says, if we sell it, we believe in it, we trust it, and dive it. Neptonics is the one-stop shop for all your spearfishing essentials. Neptonics is solid gear that works, and you'll know it's true when you pull the trigger on a Neptonics mech. On every snap of a Neptonics power band and in every whiz of a Neptonics spear gun reel, singing with the power of another big fish. 
buy gear you can depend on at naptonics.com. Use the code NOOB10 to save 10%. Hey guys, not sure how you stay hydrated out on the boats on those long days out on the water, uh, but staying hydrated is absolutely critical to Gourds. Good equalization and looking after your body, making sure you're not doing those awkward one-legged kicks to the surface when, when one leg cramps out on you. Go to aqualite.com.au and get yourself a box of sachets. You just simply add them to water. It's less than $1.28 per serve. Cheaper and healthier than any other sports drinks on the market. Aqualite will make a difference in your spearfishing. Check it out at aqualite.com.au. Use the code NoobSparrow to save 10% on any order. Check it out. Aqualite, made in Western Australia. All right, g'day, Noobers. Today I'm joined by Robbie Peck. Uh, I, find, I found out that the the survivor of the bull shark attack over in Port, ha- Port Hedland WA is actually listening to the podcast. I don't know if this is ominous or what, Robbie, but I think you're the second or third like person that survived a shark attack that's come on. Um, it's like I'm attracting you guys like magnets. How, what do you say to that? <laughs> well, I hope not, man. But, um, yeah, anyway, I hope not for the sake of your future guests anyway, dude. Yeah, or yeah. your past, or your past guests, for that matter. Nah, that's it. Eh? Like it's an awful experience. You wouldn't want to wish it on anyone. But um, I was stoked you reached out to me. I've, I've actually been talking about you in the last few episodes I did because I was over in WA, but I wasn't as far north as Port Hedland. Give us a rundown of um, sort of where you live and dive. Yeah, sweet, sweet man. Yeah, so um, live up in Port Hedland in the northwest of West Australia. So we have very tropical water up here. Winter time, oh, you know, we might get. Uh, early 20 degrees for our water temperature, maybe 20 degrees on a cold day, I guess, and up to about 32, 33 degrees um, in our summer temperatures. That's that's like in the shorter shelter bays and that. So it that's gets too warm. Gets very warm, mate. Even in borders, you're like, Jesus. <laughs> but um, bit warm. But uh, yeah, our winter winter time for us is our prime spearfishing time. Summertime, we tend to get um, a lot of tropical cyclones and just a lot of. Um, a lot of algal blooms and you know, coral spawn and shit like that, just um, you know, really mucking up the water a fair bit. Although, in saying that, you know, you can still get some some days that are diveable, but that tends to be our kind of our off season, I guess, the the summer months. Yeah, right. Mm. That's a shame too, because I mean, the weather's super hot, so it'd probably be nice to jump in the water. But if it's filthy and you know, like it's just not that great for spearing, like that, that'd be a bit disappointing, I guess. But I mean, you're a busy man too. You got a family as well, so between family and work and getting older, it's like you love spearing more than ever. But the realities are, you just you can't really get out very often anyway. Mm, yes, yeah, the constant juggle, mate. Especially uh, with the age of my kids at the moment, they're only what have I got a one year old, uh, four year old, and a six year old. So it's a hell of a juggling act, just trying to get that balance right. And I'm sure yeah. a lot of people can can relate to that. Yeah, buttering up the wife for weeks, months at a time to get a decent <laughs> couple of day window. Yeah, yeah. mate, and um, and yeah. also locking in those neat tides, and that's probably again something um that's quite unique to us up here. We've got really huge tidal range, so we've got about in our spring tides seven meters uh, between or six to seven meters between high tide and low tide. So there's a, a lot, lot of, of movement. Yeah, a lot of movement. So our our bit of diving tends to be around those neat tides, which are as you know, only once every two weeks. Uh, so trying to lock in those good dates well ahead of time and then hoping the wind and everything else plays ball is another part of that equation in terms of locking in those dates with the misses. So 
I remember saying, and I can hear it in your voice, you're an expat Kiwi. Where did you grow up in New Zealand and how long have you been in uh, Port Hedland? Yeah, so I grew up in New Zealand, east coast of the North Island, a little town called or city called Gisborne. Uh, really beautiful place, great surf, good diving. Um, growing up there, I sort of jumped in the water first and I was maybe you know, 10, 12 years old, something like that, um, chasing power and crayfish or abalone um, and and normal speak. Um, that's our Maori word for it, as you know. Yep, yep. And um, Kaura and Kai Moana. Yeah, bro. <laughs> <laughs> the Gizzy, the Gizzy people are pretty hard on their Maori heritage as well. Nazi Pro is big in that area, and um, mm-hmm. I've got quite a few mates from that area as well. I'll catch up yep. with you after the show and, and chat. But what a beautiful place of the, in the world to get in the water and get amongst it because it's pretty warm, fairly clean, and you've got access to a variety of species. Mm, yeah, we do. Yeah, so um. So yeah, back to the question as well. So I've been up in in WA for about thirteen years, Port Hedland itself for about ten or ten or eleven years now. Um, but in terms of in terms of spearing, only um, only about six years experience spear fishing now. So it's still relatively yep. new to that side of it. Still loving it, just yeah. frothing on it. Oh, mate, it's great. Yeah, cool. Well, it's good to get a bit of a picture of um of of sort of where you're from and where you are now. Um, you've obviously reached out to me. Um, and I was stoked you did because um, sometimes you don't want to be the ambulance chaser, you know, like I know you've just come off doing a whole bunch of TV interviews and all this sort of stuff. Um, and they have a very much a rugged 24-hour news cycle. The beauty of a long-form podcast is you can you can explore some sort of issues in a, at a greater level. And I, I don't really care too much about the flash and the pan information, but I'm genuinely interested in your experience. I, I know you said you've had a ton of – insights out the back of it so i mean if you can walk us through the whole day and situation yes yeah, so i guess a brief overview um before we go into the into the thick of it i guess uh, mm. start day started off um we just we we're going to go out wide um which for us is about 60 odd k's out because we got pretty shallow water uh for a long time at for a long distance out here so you can go 60 odd k's out and we'll still be in 10 12 meters of water in places Wow. Um, so we were, we were planning on going out wide targeting Spanish Mackies, and then we decided it was a little bit bumpy, had the four-year-old son on board um, and thought, oh, I don't want to put him through too much just by bashing it out there. So we just went to one of my go-to spots. Uh, my mate Ben and I jumped in the water. Brother-in-law stayed on the boat with, uh, with the young fellow mm. um, who they did a little bit of line fishing and then the young fellow fell asleep. Uh, meanwhile, Ben and I just proceeded to pick off a few nice table species, and I was fortunate enough to uh, to bang a, uh, a broad bar mackie anyway. So it was nice to get nice. a couple of sorts. I was hoping for a Spanish, but you know, I'll take what I can get sometimes. Yeah, yeah, 100%. and um, and yeah. So we've been in the water about three hours or so, and then I smoked a um, a blue bone, which is going to be my last dive of the day, and. Uh, yeah, all of a sudden, um, I'm 13 meters underwater, and I'm pulling this fish in towards me. And at this stage, the fish is probably a good two, three meters away from me still. Mm. And I just happened to look around, and I saw this massive mouth wide open, just you know, arm length or two away from me. And there was very little I could do. I don't actually remember doing it, but I pieced it together afterwards. I put my left hand out to try and sort of fend it off. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, Ocean Ramsey's advice didn't work too well, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> I ended up 
<laughs> or maybe maybe I'm just no coordinator, probably that. But you know, um, yeah. but anyway, my left hand ended up down the shark's throat and it lasted on. Yeah, so but it was actually despite my bad luck, mate. That was actually one of the things that quite possibly saved my life because with my hand down its throat, it was actually only to able to bite onto my upper arm, which has got a much larger bone than the forearm. Had my arm been sort of straighter or, or bent rather, uh, the the jaw would have got the upper arm and the forearm. And I, I reckon with a shark that big, which was later, by the way, confirmed to be a bull shark with DNA at three to three point two meters based on the uh, tooth spacing, mm. um, that would have probably chewed through my forearm and then I would have bled out more than likely in a pretty short amount of time. So that was fortunate, man. Despite the bad luck, um, some things went my way. And mm. anyway, um, I... Yeah, swam to the surface, and then we just gunned it into shore. Um, meanwhile, the uh, the four year old, fortunately, he was um, he was asleep for the first crazy moments. Yeah, and um, yeah, then we just gunned it into hospital. But I guess there's a whole lot more detail in that. Um, and then eventually, yeah. um, eventually, I get uh, flown down to Perth um, on a Royal Flying Doctor service. So for anyone who's not familiar with that, it's just basically a not-for-profit organisation that takes people from remote places in Australia and delivers them to the nearest hospital, which is a fantastic mm. service. I was so stoked to be able to have that. 100%. And um, and then a fantastic team of surgeons at the Plastics Ward and the Royal Perth Hospital, uh, which is for us is about uh, 1,600 kilometres away or 1,000 miles. And, and uh, you know, for those in Imperial. In, in America speak. Yeah. yeah. America speak. Mate, when you get it, when I was over in WA, you do get a, a, a sort of an overview of the the sheer scope of the place, and the Royal Flying Doctors. I think Australia is such a big country, like um, area wise, you know. So they do they do do an amazing job, and and I'm stoked that they're a, a part of your um, recovery, I guess. Mm. So I want to go back to you, you were you're on the bottom in th- in 13 meters. Have I got this right? Yeah, mate. Yep. And, and you you shot a. a a, a, a black spot or a blue bone, you call them over there. Is that right? Yep. Black spot yeah. tusky, yeah. Black spot tusky, and, yep. And you started, you were still on the bottom and you were retrieving the fish when the bull sharks come at you. Mm. Yeah, mate. So this is, this is contrary to a lot of sort of typical bull shark behavior or shark behavior in general where they attack you on the surface. Mm. It, it, it's, it's, yeah, it's pretty full on on the bottom. Yeah, it is, man. And also another thing contrary to what you'd sort of call typical bull shark behavior is the fact that the water was actually pretty clear as well. For us, clear water is uh, about, you know, 10 meters plus is a good day for us. This mm-hmm. day, we could make out the bottom at 13 meters. So it was it was one of the better days that we have. And what what I think has happened is that um, this, this shark, is as I'm pulling this blue bone, and it wasn't a stone shot, the fish was struggling quite a bit. And I think this thing has just picked up those vibrations on its lateral line and and then just come in hot. And I've just been a little bit unlucky that it was obviously in a hungry mood. And yeah. as he's come in full charge, he's, he's had a I, – I believe the shark has had a conscious choice between going for this fish, which with a shark that big is a tiny little – effectively a tic-tac for lunch, or he's, yeah. or he's got me, which is um, – you know, I'm still prey to him. He was a big shark, so – He's like, well, you'll do, mate. And, uh, yeah, unfortunately, um, I was on the menu, but um, equally fortunately, uh, he uh, he didn't get much of a feed out of me, which is good. 
And like anecdotally, like I've spent a bit of time in the water with sharks and everyone, a lot of people talk about them in that the two different modes of behaviour, you know, and when that prey response is going, when their blood's up, and bull sharks I think are particularly guilty of it because they're loaded full of testosterone, I think that compete mechanism comes into it too. I mean, did, did, but you actually think it – where was the shark in relation to you and the blue bone? Was the blue bone in front of you and the shark sort of behind and, and quartering off from you? So it's mm, – It was almost – I would say almost perpendicular to me and the fish. So from, okay. from the shark's angle of attack, he would have had a clear choice between us. But I guess, you know, maybe it was also competitive type behavior. Maybe – Maybe he saw a struggling fish and thought that I was another thing trying to attack that fish too. I guess you just don't know, do you? Unless you can uh, interview a shark, you're kind of just speculating. <laughs> yeah, well, this one just definitely wasn't as friendly as the ones I'm finding Nemo, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, so you've got you, – was there any arterial bleeding? Did you get a – did you have to apply a tourniquet or anything like that to compression? How? What was your sort of immediate first aid? Yeah, so immediate first aid was um, was when I'm on the bottom and um, I realised I knew exactly what had happened. I was like, man, I've been bitten by a bloody shark. And so I just ditched my spare gun. I shoot with a real gun, by the way, so just ditched that. Um, funny side story about that later. Remind remind me to uh, to tell you about that. But anyway, I ditched the gun and, uh, and then I just used my right arm just to apply pressure to the wound and then my hand just sunk into the flesh, mate, and I was – Oh, it was hectic. I was like, oh, this is a bad bite. And uh, so I knew, okay, what's priority number one? Control the bleeding. So how am I going to do that? Need the boys' help. So as soon as I reached the surface, I just screamed out to my dive buddy, Ben, who was in the water. Um, he wasn't able to quite make out the attack, but he, he heard my scream underwater at the shark, and he could see the shark afterwards. So he thought it was a bull shark initially as well, and it was very agitated. He knew something was up, started coming towards the boat as well. I had about 30 metres to the boat, so I just swam on my back um, holding my holding my wound and trying my best to sort of hold it together and then uh, screaming out to the brother-in-laws on the boat, like, tourniquet, tourniquet, I've been burned by a shark. Fucking bad boys, need your help. <laughs> yeah. And so yeah. That was, it was hectic, man. And uh, and then, yeah, we, we I get to the back of the boat and uh, – Clive just said uh, that there was so much blood in the water and he just did a superhuman effort, just scooped me up with one arm and I'm not a small bloke, you know, 95 odd kilos and uh, just scooped me up one arm into the boat and I knew straight away, okay, I need to get in recovery position, I need to keep the wound elevated and we need to get this bleeding under control. So um, the irony is that for years, I've had this tourniquet and a little plastic box that used to sit up uh, just under the, just at the front of the boat. And because I was in the process of selling the boat, this box is a little bit beaten up and ugly. I decided to take the thing off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. oh god! And then I'm like, I was like, "Where's the tourniquet?" I was like, "Shit, I don't know, man. I don't know where I put it." <laughs> and um, he's just turning shit upside down. 
trying to find this um this tourniquet and uh emptying up my die bag couldn't find anything i was like man stuff but we just need to get pressure on this wound and um to his credit he already had towels and bandages laid out we did have a first aid put on the boat a separate one uh so so he threw them on and then and then we got the pressure on meanwhile uh the dive buddy ben gets to the back of the boat and uh yeah, once he's once he's sort of got his fins off and his and his spear going to a safe place, then uh, then yeah, Ben took over uh, with the uh, with the pressure and said to Clive, mate, grab that knife, go and cut the anchor rope. Um, and so he grabs the knife, walks to the front of the boat, and then <laughs> I didn't find this out till later, but as he's walking back from the from the bow of the boat back into the cabin, he slipped, and the handle of the knife brushed up against the side of his neck right across the artery. <laughs> holy moly. <laughs> so, <laughs> fortunately for him, the, uh, the the blade was pointing outwards, and so Clive's just oh. like, oh, God, just threw, threw the knife in the water. <laughs> it's like, sweet, we don't yeah. need that anymore. So uh, so then I was like, and and again, um, Clive is not a my brother-in-law. Clive he's not the biggest boating person. Like he's sort of fairly new to it all. And so yeah. I said to him, mate, just turn the key, but the boat is start stop. Press that button. And so he did that. And I said, just drive towards land, drive towards the port infrastructure because we got huge on all port here. You can see all the shiploaders and everything. So that was a good landmark for him to go towards. Um, nice. And uh, yeah, meanwhile he. Uh, called the ambulance and I don't recall saying this but I did um, in the moment and it was um, you know call triple O our emergency number um, uh, you know ambulance priority one Port Headland boat ramp opposite Dome Cafe and he just repeated that three times and to his credit he um, you know going full noise of the boat at the stage and um, you know, 70 odd k's an hour, pretty hard to hear things, but he just left the, didn't even know if they'd heard him properly, but he just left yeah. the line connected and um, and just put the phone down and just proceeded to keep driving. Um, so, so yeah, then uh, they're roughly halfway back. Um, Clive's going, reckons he's going through these ideas in his mind about some sort of like a James Bond type landing at the beach where he's going to like <laughs> drive it up on the sand because he, he doesn't really know how to navigate jetties and shit. <laughs> I was <Yeah>. like, <laughs> <laughs> like, thank God you didn't, man. We would have been smashed. <laughs> anyway, yeah. so fortunately, uh, Ben, who is my dive buddy, who's um, is the familiar Bodie, uh, he uh, he took over the navigation and the and the driving. Um, and um, and yeah, as we're getting closer towards shore, uh, there was a we've got big tugboats coming in and out of the port all the time. And yeah. um, and we had to slow right down for these tugwakes because they're good meter high tug tugwakes. You know they're they're big and um, and I knew by this stage I was I was losing blood and you know needed help and I knew every second counted and I was like mate just send it on the next one knowing that um, there's always going to be two sets of wakes and the next wake's going um, away from us and mm. so he just gave it to it on the next wake. Um, but uh, yeah, mean, meanwhile, like I was really starting to get doughy by the stage, and 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 I was losing a lot of blood, and um, and mate, it was pretty heavy being in that situation with my four-year-old on the boat. So he was, yeah. he was, I can't remember if I mentioned it earlier, but he was asleep on the boat at the start, and mm. fortunately, he was also asleep on a on a insulated fish bag, which turned out to be the perfect padding for him. 
when we were absolutely gunning it back to the boat ramp at full speed. So he was he was reasonably comfortable and it was also fortunate that he was basically eye to eye with me and we were able to talk to each other. So it was good for me. I was able to comfort him. But equally, I was like, man, I can't die here in front of my four-year-old son. That just, you know, that just been messed up. And that was such a huge driver, man. Like, and yeah. and even just the thought of my family and everything, just all I need to do is survive for them. And as much as I love spearing and everything, man, like I didn't care about anything in the world apart from surviving for my family. And that was that was huge, man. Like it was such a profound experience. And um, and what was also trippy was was the choice between effectively staying conscious. I had a black and white choice between staying present and staying awake or I had this call to a nice, comforting, warm place that I could have gone to. And it was an absolute black and white place, man. And whether that place was just unconsciousness or death, I will never know. But yep. man, all I know is that I had an absolute choice, and that was that was a pretty trippy experience to um, to have that. So yeah, that brings home, I guess, the importance, and it, it gives you a full realization of being a father and a provider. I guess you know, like, and and um, yeah, I don't know. You never want to think that your your fun, the stuff that fills your soul, is ever going to get in the way of you being able to fulfill your responsibility and look after your family. But I mean. Very much sounds like the reality of the situation you were in. Mm, yeah, mate. Yeah, it was certainly. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty crazy. And even other things that was also interesting was that I didn't give a shit whether I lost my arm or not. You know, I, I thought it was gone, to be honest. And um, yeah, just that didn't even matter at the time. Just surviving, and it was just yeah, kind of cool how just that instinctive, um, you know, just that instinctive reaction is so strong and you uh, you only got the fight or flight don't you and um apparently i have the fight so that's good mm. your family have have got their uh their provider around for you know for, for you know you survived it basically and you're you're there for them so that's mm. that's awesome man yeah man uh, pretty pretty epic far out okay um so you get down to perth uh, how long? How long did it take you from being bitten to when you were getting? Um, obviously, you got emergency first aid. When you did you meet the paramedics at the boat ramp? What was the sort of? Yeah, yeah. So, um, what basically happened? We got to the boat ramp. Oh, yeah. Interesting side story too, right? So we mm. had um, a uh, Department of Transport boat just doing regular patrols, like they're sort of the water police type function. Uh, checking boating licenses and you know safety gear things like that. You know they've obviously seen us fanging it into the uh, into the boat ramp and um, and thought they were on some sort of a you know police chase and uh, <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> so, oh, so no. I, was, I found this out from chatting to one of the tugboat operators later and uh, anyway he said he saw this guy just take off after us and then we get to the boat ramp and. Um, and Ben did a fantastic job of just clearing him off the boat ramp, just screaming out, you know, shark tack, get out of the way. And um, meanwhile, this Department of Transport boat comes in behind us, thinking that they're onto some big, you know, big bust or something. <laughs> Your life jackets are out of date by yeah, a week yeah, or something. Yeah. So yeah. That was that was kind of ironic. And um, yeah, fortunately, Ben also he had the nous to call up uh, 
Wally from our local dive shop um, across from the boat ramp. And Wally Gully. Yeah, Wally Gully, yeah. So he knew that yeah, yeah. Um, he knew that he'd um, he'd probably be there and and that he'd be able to help us just hold the boat when we got onto the into the ramp. And that's exactly how it played out, which was great as well. Um, so my first priority was just, you know, getting the um, getting the young fella in a safe place. And um, when we first rocked up, the ambulance wasn't quite there. Um, but very shortly after, we could hear the sirens. Um, meanwhile, the Department of Transport boat, I don't know what the hell they were thinking, but they managed to bump us um, and almost bumped us off the jetty. So uh, <laughs> I, haven't had, I haven't followed that one up yet and just found out what their side of the story is. But um, in, any, in any case, they kind of cooked it and um, they ended up on board the boat. And I'm I'm telling this this person that's standing there, I was like, get me a bodyboard. I need a bodyboard. And she's just sort of standing there with this dopey look on her face and was like, what are you doing, mate? Um, yeah, um, I thought it was um, – yeah. I thought it was our marine rescue because I was a little bit lucid by this stage and um, and our marine rescue guys definitely have that gear. So um, yeah. anyway, meanwhile, the um, the paramedics soon rock up and I knew the paramedic because my wife is also a paramedic. Um, it's only a small town of about 10,000 people, so she pokes her head over the side of the boat and it's like, oh, hey, Robbie, shit, I didn't expect to see you here. <laughs> it's like, yeah. yeah, well, here I am. <laughs> oh, far out. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, then um, they basically treated me on the boat uh, just to get the bleeding under control. Uh, they they put a drip in and that had a, a drug called TXA, which is a clotting agent. Okay. Wait a few minutes for that to kick in and then bandaged up the wound. Uh Meanwhile, they did actually get a proper stretcher. Um, because of the awkward position and being on a boat, they decided to go for the canvas stretcher. And okay. everyone's sort of standing there with confused looks on their faces about how this is going to work. And I'm like, put it beside me here, and then I'll just shimmy onto it. And, you know, still kind of, you know, had my wits about me enough to, to call the shots. And, um, and yeah, we pulled that <laughs> off. And I made some joke about them dropping me and my wife kicking their ass if they did. And, um, yeah, so everyone. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah then um, meanwhile, uh, the brother-in-law and um, and my son James, they they went across across the road, um, had a little bit of a clean-up at Wally's shop. Um, well, at least, uh, at least James did. He was covered in my blood, the poor little dude. And uh, oh, yeah. then Clive takes him to the little dome cafe, right opposite the boat ramp and he's covered in my blood and head to toe as well. He walks up to the counter, oh, can I have an orange juice? Guy's like, <laughs> mate, you can have that for free. looks like you've been through a bit. And <laughs> <laughs> you've had a rough day, man. <laughs> and, uh, Clive's pacing up and down outside the uh, the Dome Cafe. like trying. He needs to call my wife and tell her what's happened. He's like, how the hell am I going to deliver this news? What am I going to say? And obviously to anyone who's – um who's not understanding what's going on. All they're saying is just this crazy dude pacing up and down covered in blood with a phone. <laughs> so oh, yeah. Pretty, pretty hectic scenes. And um, meanwhile, uh, yeah, some nice people from one of the local local shops came, looked after my son while he was just doing some colouring in and didn't seem, oh, nice. didn't seem too disturbed at the stage. So that was good. Um, anyway, um, yeah, then it was a trip to the uh, local hospital, the uh, Headland Health Campus, where they stabilised me and, they uh, they actually had to call the RFDS to uh, 
to get them um, to fly from the nearest town because they're not always stationed in Port Hedland itself. They just sort of fly from place to place. And uh, so I had about a three-hour wait um, for the plane to, to come in. Um, meanwhile, the media was already onto it. Um, they were already at the bloody boat ramp for some crazy reason. And then I think that was just a coincidence. And then they followed us to the, uh, to the local hospital um, and to the airport when they transferred me to the plane. It was, yeah. And uh, by the time I landed in Perth four hours later, it was an absolute media frenzy. So that was, that was pretty hectic as well. Got a sweet deal for you today, guys. Go to freedivingfamily.com and learn from Adam Stern and a select team of experts on different disciplines. There's Frenzel, Advanced Frenzel and Hands-Free Equalization, Mouthful, Deep Frenzel Equalization, Bifinning Essentials. These are courses that will give you the 1% that will allow you to improve. Use the code SPIRO to get 20% off any course at freedivingfamily.com. Again, that's the code SPIRO to get 20% off at freedivingfamily.com. Thanks, Adam and team. Love it. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com forward slash Noob Spiro. There's over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Check that out at audibletrial.com forward slash Noob Spiro. Hey, Shrek, holy smokes, my big green friend. You guys have been smashing it over there. Every episode of the Noob Sparrow podcast is full of actionable spearfishing info. It's exciting times, and I'm stoked that so many noobers are submitting their adventures, lessons learned, and pictures here at spearingmagazine.com. Just wanted to say that noobers can get an international subscription at spearingmagazine.com right here at spearingmagazine.com. Thank you, my friend. Are you following at Old Man Blue Dive on Instagram yet? Bert Calder, creator of the Old Man Blue Dive Gear, is an absolute legend. They're people that froth on the sparing life and intentionally make super hard wearing and practical gear that will stand the test of time. Visit oldmanblue.com.au and check out a bunch of tough, robust equipment made by people that are just as passionate about sparing as you are. oldmanblue.com.au Why do you think, um, I mean this is a philosophical question and kind of off topic almost, but why do you think shark attacks attract such like dramatic media attention is because uh, I guess it's so foreign to most people. They don't get in the ocean. Sharks are just terrifying. Mm. I don't know. What Man, do you think? I have given this a lot of thought since this happened to me. And the conclusion I've come to is because our lives have been linked to the sea for a, for a very long time, pretty much since the dawn of Homo sapiens. Like you think so many cultures have made ocean going, you know, trips across places. Now, I think it's a fear that's deeply ingrained in our DNA and much for the same, Uh, the same sort of instinctive type of, um, I don't know, instinctive type of fear or or reaction we have to, for example, looking at a campfire. Everyone loves looking at a campfire. And I think the reason for that is because campfires have provided us safety and protection and, and cooking our food in that for, you know, thousands and thousands of years, you know, like, um, if you believe in that evolution, at least anyway. And, um, and and even if you don't, they're still, <laughs> you know. And and I think it's I think it's something that's deeply ingrained in our DNA. That's what I think. And yeah, that's why we're so fascinated about it. But it's a really odd thing, isn't it? Because I mean, if it was a it was a motorbike accident, and I cut my arm. Like no one give a shit. Yeah, there's some deeper questions here, like about fear in general and why people seem to 
love it so much. They seem to love being afraid. I mean, when I talk to most sparrows and you don't seem any different than the rest of us, we're very risk tolerant as mm. a, as a, as a, as a, you know, as a subset of humanity, sparrows seem to be very, I'm not going to say we're ridiculous or whatever, but we just seem to have a very, a more rational sense of, of risk analysis and, and, and the way we think and plan about it. Mm. What, what do you think about that? I think you're absolutely spot on with that comment. And again, I've, I've given this a bit of thought as well. And, you know, Risk a life without risk is a life not lived, really, isn't it? Um, oh, 100%. And for sparrows, I think all of us, or certainly the vast majority of us, we accept that risk when we when we go into the water. Um, and the whole of their domain, our domain thing, that's probably something that I wouldn't mind having a chat about, too. But yeah, I mean, right in, right. Terms of the, in terms of the, the risk management of it, um, you know, like we do things within our control, but there's certainly a lot of things that are outside of our control. And Mate, that one, that's what makes it fun. Yeah. 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 And I was, but I was going to say like your experience doesn't sound like you could do much to mitigate it. Like it, no. it sounds like a, a freak occurrence. Like, um, yep. it was like a whole bunch of things lined up for that scenario to take place. And, and I mean, it's an incredibly tough situation for you on a personal level, but it, it, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, like having listened to it, I don't think there's much you could have done to mitigate it. No, I think you're right, other than not going spearfishing, which isn't going to happen. Yeah. But, um, yeah. but yeah, I've, I've put it down to four things which lined up on this particular day, which are unusual compared to what we'd normally experience, at least in this part of the world. One, one it was such a large shark. And that was that was unusual. We don't normally see that many massive, you know, three meter plus sharks. We see a lot of whaler species, especially. Um, I've seen a couple of big tigers, um, not necessarily so much around Port Hedland itself, but other parts of the Pilbara within a few hundred k's. Um, so that was unlucky and very, you know, very unusual to see such a large shark. Um, point number two was that this thing came in hot. Like normally, the behaviour would ramp up for us. It's not mm. like they just go from zero to 100. Normally, you see the sharks, they'll get agitated. You'll have time to be like, oh, look, you know, these guys are getting a bit friendly. Let's get out of the water here and just move to another spot or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then another one was the fact that it came from behind. Had it came from the front, might have had a bit more of a, bit more of a chance. And then finally, um, the fact that it apparently went for the fish and not me. So there's sort of four things that lined up at once for that situation to happen. That doesn't happen very often. Like a number of them are quite improbable. And so yeah. when you add all those, cool. you know, combine all those factors, then it's it's very unlikely. And that's evidenced by the fact that I'm the first person to be bitten in Port Hedland since 1917, I think it was. All right. So, yeah. Um and saying that we do have a, a rising shark population and there are more and more big boys out there. The big sharks, a lot of people say, and and and, and, and I mean, I, I don't have a, a hectic amount of experience. Like, you know, like I've chatted with a lot of people that have got far more experience than me, but the, big, the bigger sharks seem to often be more wary. Having said that, bull sharks can be pricks of animals. Like they... Ah, sneaky, and they they always come in behind you. They'll they'll go for multiple looks at you. Um, I think they're an intimidating animal. Um, mm. So yeah, Ugh. 
Yeah, I think you're right as well, mate. It's the, uh, you know, sharks aren't stupid, are they? They're, they're risk averse. And a shark mm. that's old has obviously been a risk averse shark. Otherwise, he wouldn't have, wouldn't have got that age. And that's why our usual intimidation tactics of, you know, swimming towards them or poking them off or whatever, they think, oh, I don't really know if I like that because um, this thing could hurt me too. And obviously, if that shark's compromised, then that's potentially the end of his life so or her yeah. life. So. You know, I think yeah, nice. there's a lot of truth in that, absolutely. Um, and equally, sharks get educated as well. Uh, we see different shark behavior in different parts of the Pilbara. For example, where there are a lot of sort of tourist sparrows who aren't that used to diving in northern waters with a lot of sharks, they'll mm. just often freak out and just at the first sight of a shark and they'll just give the bloody shark the fish. Which oh, is the yeah. worst thing you can do because then oh, that it. shark, be- yeah, then that shark becomes um, accustomed to that, and then they associate mm. spear gun, even the sound of a spear gun coming going off with a feed, and we try not to let them get a feed up here because yeah, otherwise you end up with a whole lot of educated sharks that are that are poorly behaved, shall we say? Yep. The Pavlovian response, behavioural economics 101, like I, I, I agree with you, but um, yeah, I, I do have a level of sympathy and understanding for people that are 100% intimidated by sharks. I mean, that's mm. just like you've mentioned before, that's, you know, a lot of evolution has gone into teaching you to be like that and to behave like that. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it does sound counterintuitive, but don't give them a free meal for sure. Mm. Yep. Um, I wanted to ask you before, so we kind of glazed over from – you know, the shark biting you to when you got to the surface. So you knew you had been bitten, but I don't understand what happened to the shark. Did it let go all of a sudden? Was it how, – how fast was it from it, it grabbing – latching onto you to to the next part, buggering off? Yeah, so I – as I said, I was on the bottom. It grabbed on. I think it would have been attached for about, you know, only a second or two. But it was enough time for me to scream at it, which – made it let go or encouraged it to let go. Um, and then what happened as my hand came out of its mouth, it sort of turned turned away from me and that's where my wrist um, dragged across its bottom jaw. And um, and this is all put together after the fact exactly what yeah, happened. Yeah. Um, but, um, but, yeah, dragged across its bottom jaw and then um, cut tendon um, or several tendons and nerves and, and, and the minor artery. So... That was yeah, basically what happened, and then um, and then from Ben, the dive buddy's perspective, he had heard that scream, and then he saw the shark behaving very erratically, uh, snap pointed up, you know, fins down, all those classic aggressive type of um, behaviours, and mm. it was doing a few loops around. But oddly enough, I wasn't actually concerned about it coming back at me for another go. Uh, mm. I don't know whether that's because I just thought I'd given it a bit of a scare or maybe I just had other things on my mind like holding my arm together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, it was um, – and then even on the swim back to the boat, not once did the thought of it coming back and having a crack at me um, enter my mind. So, yeah, I guess maybe if it was a big great white, I might have had other um, thoughts about that. But, um, but yeah, knowing the way bull sharks sort of behaved in the past, I think once you give them a bit of a scare, they – they tend to bugger off. Yeah, he got he got a lot further along in the process than we than you'd prefer, you know, before yeah. that actually happens. But you mm. know, I hear what you're saying. Mm. Yeah, far out. Yeah. Um, funnily enough, I actually chatted to a bloke, um, Rick Batur. I don't know if you've um, heard of yeah. him and, and his attack, but he's got, um, a, 
He's got a book out too. And yeah, yeah. I had a yarn to him book, actually. Yeah. I had a mate put him put him in touch with me and um and had a nice chat to him. And he had a, isn't there a sorry, isn't there a shark attack survivors group as well? Yeah, bike club. <laughs> yeah. And right. is he is he in that as well? Um, I think he is. I mean, I haven't seen him particularly active on or anything. Um, but it's yeah. basically just a Facebook group and um, not just limited to shark bites as well. Some really interesting stories about, you know, bear attacks and wolves oh, yeah. and all sorts of crap. So it's, um, yeah, but um, but it's actually a really, um, from what I've seen so far, a really fantastic support group. And even they have uh, free psychologists, et cetera, they can, that you can reach out to as well if you wish. So that's a, yeah, that's a pretty cool, um, pretty cool thing. Yeah, but um, they, I think their catch cry is something like the club with the worst entry requirements in the world. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I interrupted you anyway. You're talking about chatting with Rick Batua. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, his his scenario of, of, of getting bitten by a bull shark um, is quite similar in mine, actually. He had a shark sneak up from behind, and he was he was on about, I think, 12 metres down on top of a coral worm. He just shot a fish as well. The shark grabs onto him briefly, and he managed to, you know, punch it off and but mate, you look at his wounds and I'm like, man, I'm a I'm a pussy, you know. <laughs> yeah, is it uh, his like really bad? His wounds were severe, mate. Uh yeah, and it was a much bigger uh bull shark as well. I think his one was closer to four meters. Uh so wow, yeah, yeah, hectic, mate. Like yeah, but um but anyway, he's got a he's got a great book. Um I've been really I bought the book and I've been really enjoying that too. So yeah. yeah. Mm. Well, he's done all sorts of crazy stuff in the water. So you guys got to compare notes. It's good. I mean, it's good how the sort of the internet has made the world a lot smaller place, you know, mm. in a lot of ways. Like there's ways, I mean, it's cool that you're able to connect with people like that and, and mm. you share a lot of common ground and most other people won't be able to relate to your experience, you know. Yeah, and, that's uh, it. Yeah, cool. So you talked about, you, you were keen to have a discussion about, our, you know, our domain versus their domain because – there's a lot of cliche and there's a lot of chat about, you know, like you hear people say, and, and I don't know how true it is, I haven't been attacked by a shark, but you hear people say that old chestnut like, oh, you know, well, I went into their domain and I knew the risks and so I accepted them. Um, open this can of worms up if you can. Mm. A bit more <laughs> yeah, well, my logic around this, right, is that we briefly touched on it before. I think humans are linked to the ocean. I mean, where do people tend to build houses and the most expensive real estate tend to be? On the coast, because we like the water. We've mm. sailed boats and collected food, et cetera, from the, from the ocean, you know, for as long as we've been around. And, yeah, I think that we modify our environment on the land and in the water. And why, why is the water so sacred that that, that doesn't apply, that we, that we can't be – um, you know, at least it's it's our domain. I don't think it's solely our domain. I think it's a shared domain with the sharks. And mm-hmm. I 100% acknowledge, and I think most sparrows would too, that sharks have an extremely important part in the ecosystem. And we're certainly not the apex predator in that domain. But to say that it's their domain, I disagree with. I think it's a shared domain. We have just as much right to be in the water as they do. And a few anecdotes that I've kind of thought of is, okay, you think about your your local football field, man, that used to be the domain of a heap of native animals wherever you live. <laughs> and all of those animals have been displaced because of your human influence. Now I'm sure that if we dumped a whole lot of snakes on the local football field and said, oh, it's their domain, you know, um, no one would be playing any footy that day, would they? Because, 
you know, and and likewise where your house is. Your house, if there's ants in there, spiders, whatever, that used to be their domain. But guess what? You got a house there and you've said, you know, don't particularly like you being here. So, you know, get rid of them. There's a, there's a couple of things there. Like, I mean, if I can represent this group's point of view, I think sometimes they feel that, you know, Humanity is, you know, it's in the words of Ag- Agent Smith, you know, like we're a virus, you know, we're just mm. destroying everything, and we overpopulate, and we do all this sort of stuff, and 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 there are there are there is an element of truth to it, you know, like um, but in saying that, like if when people embrace their their stewardship, their you know their care for the environment, if we make a positive impact in the world around us, which we do do and we can do, and we. You know, like there's that other side of it too. But mm. to pretend like we're just the scourge of everything beneath the surface and above it, I think is just a bit more of that ivory tower sort of bullshit thinking that's permeated the feel-good world. Mm. And I, I don't actually think it's true. Like it, whether you're a vegan and you eat spinach all day, like I, I don't care. You For you to have life and breath in your lungs, other things are dying, yep. you know, and, you know, as hunters, as as people that catch our own seafood, we're much closer to this reality than they are. So I kind of I like the way you look at it. A shared domain is a good way to look at it. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, we need to be mindful of the impact we have when we're there. But yeah, why isn't it? Why is it their domain? It's 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 our domain. I think. Mm. Yeah, I think. Um, I guess what you touched on as well. Um, yeah, I I agree as well. There are a whole lot of horrible humans in the world who don't give a shit about the environment, and mm-hmm. I'd like to think that. Most sparrows would fit into the uh, into the category of being more environmentally conscious, and certainly, you know, just the selective nature of spearfishing um, speaks to that as well. Um, I know I'm certainly pretty selective when I go out there, and we're absolutely sport for choice. Fortunately, up here in in Port Hedland and and in the northwest of WA, so yeah, um, and and we do have the power to do positive things as well. And one thing that I've been working on through our local spearfishing club is um, is installation of artificial reefs off the coast here as well. So Yeah, I remember you saying this. Mm. So, oh, mate, I'd love to have more of a conversation about artificial reefs because um, it's one of these impacts that we where we can have a positive impact, particularly on longer sort of sandy stretches of coastline where there's not much going on. Artificial structures, the difference between an ecosystem and um, just sand, sandy straits sometimes. Um, so, I mean – what involvement have you had and, and where are you at with it all? Mm. So um, it's been a, an idea that I've had for a long time. Um, Rickfish West, which is our local, our Western Australian uh, recreational fishing body, have done a fantastic job around the whole state of Western Australia by getting artificial reefs installed in, in various places, as well as fads around the metro area and even down around Mug River and even uh, Cape Naturalist too. So providing opportunities for your mahi-mahi or dorado and you know, Wahoo and things like that. So yep. I've been looking at all these south, southern reefs going, where's our freaking reef? We're paying, we actually have to pay fishing fees every year as well. Uh, yeah. I think it's 30 bucks a year at the moment um, if you want to fish or, or spearfish from a, from a boat. And the idea with those fees is that they go into recreational fishing initiatives. And so... Love it. Before, I, I, actually think, I actually think it's money well spent. Oh, yeah, I agree too, mate. And I think, um, you know, user pays models is good because it actually helps protect our interests too, um, especially sure. in the, the way the world is going. I think, you know, the more yep. money you can throw at a cause, the the more power you've got. And yep. 
Yeah, so anyway, I reached out to them once I became involved in the uh, in the Northwest Bear Fishing Club, um, just joined the committee with them, and and then I was in a in a place, I guess, where I could have an official approach um, to try and push this thing, and just just wanted to make our community better, and and um, you know, no, no, hopefully provide some positive, um, you know, in the world, and and uh, so Redfish West have. Um, got behind this thing uh we've identified uh quite a few objects they call them materials of opportunity uh basically um you know existing structures that could be uh repurposed for a reef so effectively recycling on a big scale and they did a similar thing in Exmouth a few years ago and uh so one of the local companies i spoke to them and they've got an old barge which is broken up into five modules so that's um that's flagged for uh for getting incorporated in the reef fantastic and um heap of old uh, steel piles and some concrete as well. So there's so much stuff up here that you could throw into a uh, into an artificial reef. Being an industrial, like we've we've got lots of iron ore um, coming out of this port, as you may know. And uh, so there's all sorts of old infrastructure lying around now. Unfortunately, you can't just throw everything in the water because otherwise it could be frowned upon and just deemed to be a uh, uh, effectively just a way for big companies to get rid of their waste and no one wants that impression even though it would be completely inert and and not a not bad for the environment at all but it's just a bad look so this this reef we're looking at will be a combination of repurposed materials of opportunity and the standard concrete modules that you see um, in various shapes all around the state and other places around the world when you're talking to a lay audience about artificial reefs how do you immediately communicate to them the value of mm. of doing it my biggest takeaways and this is based on on scientific research as well and the rick fish west guys have, have backed this up um is that you're actually creating ecosystems so there's there's an argument about oh well if you're putting structure there maybe you're attracting fish from the natural ecosystem and just plundering them and making them easier to shoot and there are actually studies that are contrary to that, and that's an old argument that's outdated now, and there's good evidence around the world that, that suggests that once you get your own ecosystem going in these environments, you get the bait fish, you get the coral and everything, and so effectively you're, you're creating more habitat and therefore more fish are surviving. You're actually taking pressure off the other reefs around the area too because there's going to be fishing concentrated in, across, a, across a broader area. Um, another one that I really love about the fads, which we're also looking at for up here, is that you've got your pelagic species, which, as you know, are extremely fast growing. Your mahi mahi, I think I've heard a figure of about 30 centimeters a year they can put on and, and stupid, stupidly fast weight gain. They're highly sustainable, um, highly fecund, as in very um, prolific breeders. And so all those fish that are attracted to fads are. Uh, extremely sustainable fish and they taste bloody great they're fun to shoot and again by having them you're taking pressure off off the reefs which are typically your slower growing uh, demersal type species so Love it. a lot of a lot of positives in my in my view anyway fecund and fun to shoot that sounds like uh, the catch cry of every <laughs> gizmo bloke i've ever met I do have three kids, don't I? So yeah, yeah. that's it. That's it, <laughs> mate. To take you back to the sharks, I don't want to belabor it anymore. But um, uh, and we and by all means, let's go back to artificial roofs if we want. I, I wanted to ask you though, like I remember watching the Seven News, or it might have been the Breakfast um, Show with Koshi, 
And you were talking about it being a family decision as to whether or not you went back spearfishing again. Mm. Where are you at with all that now? Um, h- how long has it been since you were attacked? Uh, it's been seven weeks now. Um, my wounds have all healed up now, which is freaking epic, um, but I've still got a lot of rehab to do. Uh, so being physically able to load a spare gun, et cetera, is still a, still a while off. Um, and being our off-season, it's not particularly good spearfishing weather at the moment anyway, so it was pr- probably good timing. I would have been pissed off if it was the start of winter. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, so... I think my wife understands that it's a huge part of, of me and being in and around the ocean, like I said, you know, the, the diving, surfing, sailing when I was younger as well. I just I just love it. And for me, that's my that makes me a good person. When I go out spearfishing, I come back and that's my that's my time. And particularly I found with spearfishing even more so than the other activities in terms of the relaxation you get from it, because you have to physically relax in order to have good breath holds, right? So and I think, um, yeah, that's that's a huge part of, of of my life, and I think my wife gets that. Um, she'll 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 be fine, I reckon. Have you asked her direct yet, or are you just letting some time sort of um, allay some of that, you know, that that reactionary hurt? And because mm. you know, like any time where the, where a, a group experienced trauma, there's a there's a period of adjustment time and and healing that goes on. I mm-hmm. think. So it's not a great time to make rash decisions sometimes, although that's human nature to try and fix everything. Mm. You know, you see something like a terrible event happens and then the knee-jerk reactions to fix it often create further downstream problems. I mean, are you going to hold off and wait and and, and then ask your wife for the, the more, how are you going to go about it? Yeah, I think so. And I think I'll probably dip my toes into the water with some lower risk activities at the start as well. Uh, yeah, when we're when we're actually down in Perth, when um, after I was out of hospital but still down there for physiotherapy, et cetera, we'd had an overnight trip to Rottnest Island just off the coast of Perth. And I can tell you, man, I wanted to get into that water so badly because I knew those crayfish were just there <laughs> offshore. And yeah. uh, so the the desire is certainly there, man. And and I think my wife, she could see how much I was pining for the ocean as well. And although I haven't raised the subject yet, I'll just let sleeping dogs lie for now. And then yeah. when the time comes, um, you know, then we'll we'll chat about that. But um, good news is we went down to the beach the other day. Um, even my four-year-old son, he jumped in the water, no qualms oh, cool. at all. So that was That's great. Perfect. And there were even a few sharks hanging about that day too, chasing a few bait fish around. So you know, like that was wasn't really too triggering for me. I haven't had any sort of you know trauma, mental sort of trauma from it. Um, yep. But you know, who knows when I jump in the water, it could just bring everything back, and I might start having freakouts from that moment. I don't know, but um, no, you don't know either, and it's not it's not something to sort of to to sort of dis- disallow either, or, or sort of think it's not going to happen because um I've seen it happen to to people in different circumstances, maybe not around sharks in particular, but you, sometimes you don't know how your subconscious is going to process certain mm. things that happen for sure. I'm stoked your four year old's um hasn't has, has doesn't has well is is getting back in the water anyway and doesn't seem to have a yeah a phobia or anything like that. Yep. Yeah, and I think it's, it's probably lucky as well. He's the middle child and anyone who's got, um, you know, three kids can probably relate to this. He's a bloody clown and real happy, <laughs> happy-go-lucky kid and a real joker. And so, 
for him, he was probably not that phase by it, but the older one's much more serious, sentimental kind of kid. And and it was really fortunate that he was the, you know, he was the one on the boat at the time. If I was going to choose one, it would have been him. So, yeah. Yeah, cool. Mm. Good stuff. That's awesome, mate. Oh, well, I'm stoked you're all right. Like um, when the first report sort of came out about it, it did sound pretty touch and go. So I'm stoked you're with us and able to have a yarn with me today. It's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Actually, um, yeah, that was that was one thing too, man. Like, you know, I didn't know whether I was going to keep my arm or not for quite a long time because you go to the, the local hospital and they've got a few surgeons there that basically just they looked at the wound and, um, yeah, said, oh, no, you need to go down to Perth for surgery. No shit. Uh, but they still have to do the formalities, and uh, and then they um, yeah. Until I got into Perth in the evening, about seven thirty at night, so about seven hours or so after being bitten, and um, and then I didn't. They said they were going to take me into surgery the next day, and, and by the time the plastic surgeons and et cetera had done all their uh, their assessment on me, it was almost midnight, and I was. Well, at that stage, I'd finally had a bit of hope. I was doing a few function tests and remarkably, despite my arm, like, you know, more than half bitten down to the bone, upper arm, I could still move my thumb and index and middle finger remarkably well. And um, one little stroke of luck to do with that was um, the the tourniquet. Had we actually had a traditional tourniquet, I might not have been so lucky because Ah. um, a normal tourniquet will completely – cut your blood circulation off and there's a higher chance of you losing a limb. So it turned out yeah. that the um the spare gun rubber, or spare gun uh sorry, the um weight belt rubber that we used was the perfect tourniquet because it just restricted the blood flow enough but still allowed the circulation to keep keep flowing through. So, you know, although you'd think initially unlucky your tourniquet, your dickhead, you took it off the boat a few days ago. Um it actually turned out to work in my favor. So Yeah, nice. Pretty rad. Yeah. Nice. I've heard some similar things. When I worked in corrections, because I'm finished there now, um, we were not allowed to carry around tourniquets despite, you know, obviously there being fairly significant uh, trauma injuries occasionally. They didn't want us using them. Um, for One of the large reasons is, is, is legal liability. And even with a lot of first aid providers, emergency first aid providers, they're gun shy with recommending tourniquets. Sometimes they're the difference between life and death. Yeah. Arterial bleeding, like what else can you do? I mean, yeah, it sounds like there's an alternative in a weight belt possibly, but I guess it depends which artery and how much blood's coming out. But it can definitely affect ongoing long-term function Mm -hmm. of of those sort of limbs and stuff I have heard. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, for me, I was just fortunate that, um, you know, the artery on the upper arm runs on the inside of the – of the bicep, which was the part that was untouched. So, you know, super lucky stroke luck there. And then the only artery got on the wrist was the minor artery. So apparently there's two major one and a minor one. So that was a bloody good bit of luck as well. Awesome, mate. Awesome. Great news, guys. Adam Stern has made his freedivingfamily.com courses available at a discount for the Noob Spiro community. If you get on freedivingfamily.com, use the code Spiro, you'll get 20% off any course. There's a bunch of sick courses on there. There's an equalizing uh, stage one. There's an equalizing advanced techniques um, video there. They're two of my absolute favorites. If you have any problems with equalizing, go to freedivingfamily.com. Get Adam's course and use the code SPIRO to get 20% off any course. Check it out at freedivingfamily.com.
Today's Noob Sparrow podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at noobsparrow.com forward slash audible. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone or Android phone. Get amongst it, noobsparrow.com forward slash audible. Free trial, free book, no brainer. That's noobsparrow.com forward slash audible. In the world of freedive spearfishing, there's no magic breathing technique that's all of a sudden going to get you down and shoot massive fish at depth and holding big bottom times. But there is a way to do it safer and smarter, take down more fuel to maximize the time that you have there. Learn at noobspiro.com forward slash Ted with Ted Hardy from Immersion Freediving. If you take down more fuel, you can stay for longer. Learning to take a bigger breath is not such a big deal. Ted breaks it down for you with a free online course at noobspiro.com forward slash Ted. Take down 20 to 30% more air just by learning how to take a full breath. Again, learn how to do it free at noobspiro.com forward slash Ted. What's the spearfishing club you're part of? Yeah, so we're a Northwest Spearfishing Club. Um, so, yeah, committee member of that. Um, also a member of the WI Undersea Club um, based in Perth too. So, um, although I haven't actually, <laughs> I signed up to them on the um, on the hope that I'll be able to get to the odd um, Karatha comp that they do, which is a couple of hundred kilometres down the road and and also to some of their craze, cray competitions, et cetera. But, um, yeah, I haven't managed to make that happen for a while now. Um, you know, the realities of, um, of dad life. Um, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, uh, just um, just had the opportunity to get involved in the committee, and I I really enjoyed my experience with the club when I um, you know, when I first signed up, and I thought it'd be nice to give back and and help out, and so I've been been involved in the committee for three years now. Um, cool. and yeah, treasurer, yeah, treasurer, mate, yeah, yeah. So initially, I was on the general committee, and then needed a treasurer, so just okay, I'll be treasurer. <laughs> and, um, yeah. yeah, Robbie's a sucker; he'll do it. Yeah, yeah. So um, <laughs> anyway, but it doesn't really matter what your title is. We all just chip in and nah, uh, yeah. try and try and make it happen. Mate, the the important thing is that someone's doing fulfilling the functions and the roles in those clubs because it keeps them alive. And you need you need good people, and you need good people to continue to rotate in and rotate out mm. um, based on what's going on in their lives. But yeah, clubs of they only keep going because of the efforts of a few good people. That's for sure. Um, I did have a brief look at your Instagram. Bert goes bang. On Instagram, mate, you you you're an infrequent uh, poster, I see. Yeah, I know. I need to sort my shit out there, don't I? But um, I've I did say to you earlier, I have heaps of footage, which I just never get around to posting. Um, and now I've probably got a bit more downtime and no time to actually do the activities. I'll I'll start putting a bit of that footage out there. But uh, did you yeah. get did Did you have a GoPro on your head when you got attacked? I did, mate. Yeah, so I've got one of the uh, mask mounted GoPros. And 99% sure I was filming at the time too. Um, and unfortunately, somewhere in the chaos that ensued between getting bitten and getting dragged on the boat, the um, the mask has come off and it's ah. probably sitting – I'm hoping it's still sitting down there um, and hasn't drifted too far. There's still a chance we can get it, but it was um, probably one of the – it was one of the last days of the year when we had really good visibilities. Uh, visibility rather and um yeah the boys went to go for a uh, recovery mission um a few days after the attack and the water was just pea soup unfortunately uh, so oh. there might be an opportunity in the next couple of weeks but i think once we get a once we get a cyclone and a bit of swell then the chances are, are very slim of finding it um but mate if i can get my hands on that footage that will be 
pretty amazing, particularly because I, I, I turned before it got me and would have been pretty insane footage, I'd say. Just a, a mouthful of teeth coming straight at you. Mm, yeah. I don't know if it would be that good to look at. It will probably like um, like for you I'm, I'm talking about. Like, yeah, um, maybe. <laughs> they could trigger me, right? Yeah, send me into well, a PTSD I, spiral. <laughs> oh, maybe not that severe, but like. How pleasant would it be to look at, you know, like maybe it's like time heals a lot of stuff, doesn't it? I mean, mm-hmm. you, you give you a bit of time. Like I look back, I watch videos from a year ago, not not traumatic stuff, but just the videos from a year ago. And, mate, mate it's good watching old stuff, eh? But, uh, you know, like reliving the moment of shark picture <laughs> over and over again every year and everyone's seeing the same video. I don't know how good that is. Yeah, you might have a point there, mate. But, um, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I think um, certainly it would be – very unique footage, that's for sure. And I think a lot of people would want to see it from some sort of sick fascination. Yeah, it, just um, fear porn. Mm, yeah, that's it, man. Yeah. yeah. So you love your hunting too. Um, you like growing stuff. You, it looks like you like getting in amongst all of it. Um, how do you do that when you got three young kids? Yeah, well, um, hunting, especially when I was in New Zealand, is a huge part of it, as you know, Shrek. Um, you know, over there especially, we've got all these um, non-native animals that have been introduced to New Zealand, and it was originally they originally liberated to New Zealand to attract people there. You know, it was it was basically the hunter's paradise where you didn't have to be royalty to go and shoot a red stag. You just move to New Zealand and um, you know support the colony there and um, and have free reign. And um, so it's a wonderful place, New Zealand, for hunting, especially because we've got that seven different species of deer, pigs, and yeah. All sorts of wild game is, is such a great place. And so uh, growing up on the east coast of NZ, if you're an outdoors kind of person, it's it's a playground. And hunting was a huge part of our culture over there. Um, in Australia, I've still got that passion. And um, the only real wild game that we've got up here is, is uh, wild camels, which um, – which they um, they were imported um, from yeah from around Afghanistan ways the dromedary camels um, used to uh, construct the railways etc um, particularly out to Marble Bar and land from from Port Hedland during the gold rush days and mm. once they built the railways then they just let them go and now there's heaps of feral camels cruising around the outback and um, yeah they they're they're tasty man they're uh, yeah? yeah amazing very much like very much like beef okay. It's a lot of meat, isn't it? They're a big animal. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Even a young one is so much meat. At the moment, I think I've got about 200 kilos of camel meat in my freezer. So we're, right. we're pretty sorted for a while. And uh, fortunately, we just we just knocked over a couple um, probably two weeks before I got um, got done by the bull shark. So that was fortunate. One thing with a big animal like that is you'd want to have like a big, nice stainless uh, mincer. Is yep. that, is that You got that? Exactly got that, mate. Yeah, I've got an industrial yeah. grade, like Italian made, beautiful minster. And yeah, we've just yeah, it opens up a whole world of opportunity. Yeah. And I've got I've got the sausage stuff around. I've been getting right oh. into the into the small goods, making my own salami and things like that too. Oh, and beautiful. I've got plenty of photos and footage of that, so I'll probably start banging a bit of that stuff up. But you know, for me for me the hunting gathering thing is all I just love it, man. Like whether it's food I've grown whether it's animals I've hunted either on land or in the water and just sharing that with other people and sharing the stoke. And to me, that's just, that's just epic, man. So rewarding. So yeah, that's, that's a huge part of what drives me. And, and that's, yeah, I just, I just froth on it, man. 
just like sitting around the campfire and I mean maybe the fear response that sharks elicit, I think like there's a there's a certain satisfaction you get when you feed people with stuff that you've caught, grown, mm. killed, butchered, yep. packed yourself. And um as as fantastically efficient as a lot of our industrial sort of food practices are, they that joy is gone, you know? And I feel like sometimes a lot of there's this movement of people doing what we're doing and there's a there's a real sense of satisfaction feeding people with stuff you've done yourself mm, yeah absolutely man and also i think there's a satisfaction and making the most of your catch as well and it's really cool this growing movement of seeing people use things that are used to be thrown away regularly like yeah. fish wings and you know swim bladders and you know even um i don't know if i made it on the um, 99 sparrow recipes but the um the swim bladder you can deep fry that and it kind of comes out like pork crackling on some species I did not get that in 99 Spare Recipes, but it sounds like Volume 2, Robbie Peck's going to have a feature in there, mate. I, yeah. I've heard about the, the swim blood. I've yet to try it myself. Actually, mm. while I was over in WA, Joel uh, Joel got me back on to um, doing the, the skin of the coral trout. Yeah, I've never tried salt. that. Oh, mate, so good. Mm. So good. We've got yeah. an abundance of coral trout up here too. I've probably been mm. blowing it all these years, and, um, yeah, when I try it, I'll probably do it all the time, I guess. You are blowing it. I, mm. I, I, I'll go so far as to say the skin is the best part on a coral trout. Yeah, well, okay. Yep. Mm. Yep. Yeah. Second, well, and the wings probably come a close second. Like the head meat is good on a, on them as well. But, um, mm. yeah, because I, I don't even think coral trout's that tasty a fish to eat. I, I um, It's good, don't get me wrong. My wife loves it. But for me, it's not up the top of my um, mm. eating thing. Yeah, I find I go through phases with fish. I'll have one favorite fish for a while and then I'll sort of move on to something else. It's, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm just strange, but um, yeah. <laughs> What's the um, the ranking cod? They go all right, eh? I, I, um, I got a couple while I was over there. They eat really well. Mm, they do, yeah. And I find as well different species of fish lend themselves to different cooking methods. Uh, mm. You know, red emperor, I think nothing beats, you know, Crumbed red emperor is just one of my favorite fish to have. It's so beautiful, crumbed. And then, you know, um, some of the the species that are probably lesser targeted not that much, like the um, Spanish flag um, or stripy sea perch, I think they might be known as yeah, sometimes. Yeah. I yep. cook them whole and do an Asian whole cooked fish recipe. And that is absolutely amazing. And those fish are prolific. And, yep. you yeah. know, there's – and I've had people take – taste that and say, man, that's the best fish I've ever eaten in my life. Um, so it's really cool. I, I love that part of it as well, just ex- opening people's eyes to different things. And and even uh, even when it comes to the hunting stuff as well um, on land, I'll, um, I'll often fib to people and, um, you know, not tell them what it is and then let them yeah. enjoy it. And then afterwards, yeah. I'll break the news, you've just eaten camel. And yeah. I, find that, <laughs> I find if I do it that way, rather than the other way around, they go into it with a preconceived idea about how it's going to be and, yeah. their, and their mind plays tricks on them. But if you let them actually eat it and assume it's just beef, then they enjoy it. And then you tell them afterwards, they accept it much more readily and then they'll actually ask for another feed another time. So, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's using deceit artfully. Um, it's funny how powerful our brains are. You know, we have these preconceived ideas about lots of stuff and, and um, yeah, yeah. It, it comes through in lots of things, food being one of them. I don't know how, how, how much I'd appreciate some people would appreciate it, though. That's the only problem. 
Mm. Yeah. yeah, I know, I know. There's a little bit of deceit there, like you know, but it's it's a it's a white lie, you know. It's a good lie. It's good deceit. <laughs> One thing I noticed when I was over at WA down further south, though, was the the structure. Lot lots of cave structure, mm. wicked sort of benthos, but then also sort of like deep surge as well, washing in and out of these caves a lot. Fantastic for fish life. A little bit risky for spearing. What's it like up further though? Mm, up further, it's yeah. Totally different. Um, okay. Although we've got those massive tides, the yeah, the bottom is fairly flat. You know, we our ground is typically you know maybe a little limestone ledges and um, not really much yeah much in the way of caves or anything. Um, although uh, there's a few spots you get out to um, you know like the Montebello Islands uh, off Caratha. There are you know a few yeah. hour mission for us from Port Edlin, but. That's just an you know, a really beautiful place um, to go diving and a few cave structures and stuff around there. Um, yeah, but yeah, our ground is our ground's fairly flat and, and open. But um, yeah, I've done a bit of diving around, you know, the Margaret River area around Perth and that, mostly chasing crayfish and I know exactly what you're talking about with those deep surgy holes. Mm, yeah, yeah. There it's a, it's I don't know, there's everywhere you go there's something unique and different about the diving and often sometimes the locals uh, don't appreciate it or they don't even realise it as, as much as people that aren't from the area. Um, so what for you, like, diving off where you are, what what was something you struggled with and how have you sort of overcome it? Mm. Well, interestingly, man, like, as I said, I've only really been, been spearing for six or so years and mm. the thought of jumping in the ocean up here with all the sharks up here scared the bejesus out of me. <laughs> I did not want to... It just put me off for a long time, and um, funnily enough, it wasn't. Yeah, I did. Uh, I did some breath hold training, um, also with Wally from the dive shop here, and and um, and that was a real eye opener for me about the spearfishing approach and what you're actually able to do. And and with that, it was just static breath holds in the kiddies pool, and we, uh, you know, the aim was to try and double your breath hold from the time you got your first contraction, and. After three nights in a row of doing that, we pulled some uh, pulled some pretty good times. And I would have thought before that, you know, a minute was like my max breath hold, even in that sort of environment. And it really opened my eyes. And, and the fact that you've got reserves when you don't think you've got reserves was a, was a real game changer for me and allowed me to be more comfortable with the idea of going spearfishing and diving deeper. And knowing that if I got a contraction, I wasn't going to die straight away, that I could just make my way to the surface quite safely. And, um, you know, um, so that was that was huge. And then after that breath hold training, then I got the chance to, to jump in the water and I was still shitting myself about sharks. Uh, but then I guess after a little bit of time in the water and a few interactions, I was like, oh, actually, they're not too bad. You know, like they're – and I now I liken them to dogs, the dogs of the ocean. Is, is my analogy for sharks, especially for people that don't understand shark behavior that much. Like you can jump in someone's yard who's got a, a pet Labrador. Now you can just tell by looking at that dog's body language, he's probably a pretty happy dog and he's not going to turn on you, but he has the ability to turn on you and probably cause you some serious damage if he really wanted to. And I find the same with sharks, you know, like there's, there's cranky ones, there's, you know, there's, um, there's chill ones and, um, you know, you can, you can read their body language and that's, that's given me a lot of comfort and it's almost a game of, I don't know, just, you know, a little bit of deceit with the sharks too, you know, that 
you swim at them, um, intimidate them a bit, even though you know that that shark could probably cause you some serious damage. But yeah, that's 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 probably been the biggest thing that I've I've struggled with. And then now, ironically, even after being bitten, I'm still less worried about sharks than before I started spearfishing. Any thoughts of what of, of using a shark shield or anything like that? Yeah, I've got one that I wear um, in the in the, around the Perth and metro region, and the reason for that is because there's big tanks of grey whites there and I figure if I can do something to reduce my risk of getting um, taken by one of them, then that's probably worth it. But up here I find, you know, because of the size of the sharks don't tend to be that big and because they are are a bit of an encumbrance on your diving experience too. You know, there's the the bulk of it. There's also the fact that you get the odd zap from it um, when the when the cable gets in the wrong place and it's just another thing that could get tangled up in your shooting line and everything. So mm. I've I've veered away from it. Um, I've also heard some people argue that um, if there are sharks in the area, they might come in to check it out more. And so some yeah. people some people have a bit of a rule that if, if one person's got them on, everyone's got them on and none of my mates have got one anyway. So Yeah. It's funny, Spiro's are definitely subject to cognitive bias. And by that I mean like, you know, correlation is often, you know, um, yeah. a lot of, a lot of uh, you know, opinions are drawn from sort of anecdotal experiences and then huge assumptions are made. And sometimes it's fair and true and science hasn't caught up and sometimes it's inaccurate you know it's uh it's not causation it's just it's merely correlated yeah but i don't know like we lack a lot there's a lot of pieces missing from this you know there's not a lot of peer-reviewed studies done on huge cohorts of spiros and things like this there's no you know i I have chatted with the guy from shark shield and i've chatted with lots of people about them but a lot of it is just speculative isn't it um My experience diving with it, I had a bloke, he used to wear it around his ankle and then he would um, Cicaflex the the anode, the long tail, down one side of the blade of his fin. Yeah. And then it would only stick out about a further meter maybe, something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. And that seemed to work okay, but I got buzzed by him quite a few times. Yeah. So, <laughs> I've, um, I've yeah. done a similar thing with some – my old fins were plastic fins that I just drilled a hole in which I threaded the the – um, the cable through, but and saying that they weren't too long. And um, back to your uh, example of the surgy caves and crevices down in the southwest. Remember once I got pinned. I was chasing a crayfish and I got pinned by a surge in this um, in this little gap. And as the swell was receding, and uh, and the and I landed on my neck. And I was just getting oh. belted for about ten seconds as, 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 until, the current, until the current let me go. It was pretty pretty hilarious, but yeah. oh far so, out. Yeah, if you could capture that in a short video, that'd be a good advert for shark <laughs> yeah. But yeah, <laughs> I mean, there are other mitigation strategies out there as well. You got the shark eyes, which um, mm. which I actually was wearing on on that day. Um, I've got the shark um, eyes on the back of my mask. So, and despite the fact that you know, you could argue it wasn't effective on that day. I do seriously think that, sh- that eye contact is a huge thing for sharks. And while uh, while it may not have been effective enough to deter a fired-up bull shark on that particular occasion, I have no doubt that it certainly helped me out in, in other occasions, possibly occasions that I'm not even aware about as well. 
Um, I have similar sort of thoughts about it. Mm. But, I mean, again, I see these things, all of these things are just mitigating devices. Like nothing's ever going to make you completely bulletproof and safe. And so you've just, you know, you can have different layers of, of defense. And one thing I'm interested in checking out are these um, bite-resistant wetsuits, and that might be that might be part of the deal for uh, getting back in the water. And at least, um, you know, you might only be limited to a crush injury as opposed to a cut injury, if that's the case. And, yeah. you know, big great white, you're still probably stuffed, but maybe a smaller shark, you might be all right. Um, yeah. Do you, have you look? Have you looked at the composition of these wetsuits? What, what's the What's the basic premise? I, I mean, I've heard about it. I haven't looked mm. at the design. Is it? Have they got Kevlar? Is there a layer of Kevlar? Or is it like what? What's the sort of? Yeah, what's the I'm mechanism. Not, I'm not 100 sure what the um what the makeup is. I'm Material not sure if it's Kevlar. It could even be Dyneema, maybe. I don't know. But um, it's like those. Think, you got those cut resistant gloves yeah. that you wear on your mm-hmm. hands. Maybe yeah. it's something similar to that. Yeah, it doesn't strike me as – I'm sure you're sacrificing some flexibility. Um, mm. But, you know, like hearing um, Barry Paxman the other day and how he dove in woolen jerseys and stuff, it's like, man, you know. Like, <laughs> we're spoiled. We're yeah, spoiled, we eh? are. We really are. We're, yeah. <laughs> um, so, I mean, maybe maybe you could sacrifice a little bit just to get that additional peace of mind. Um, you know, certainly for my situation, that could be handy in, in terms of getting the, uh, the permission from the wife. <laughs> This podcast is brought to you by Aqualite.com.au. This is the best solution bar none for staying hydrated in the ocean. If you're a Spiro, it's an absolute no-brainer. It's a game changer if you're doing extended trips and the cramp starts to set in and uh, the old body's telling you, hey, that's enough. Just get hydrated and it will save you a whole heap of woe. It's a groundbreaking product that can help you to stay hydrated. It's got low sugar, it's less acidic than other options on the market, it's rapid absorption, help you to maintain performance. Dehydration of just 1% to 2% can affect your mental and physical performance by up to 6 or 7%. And as when you're spearfishing, you can tell when dehydration is starting to affect you because the equalization goes out the window. Get Aqualite at aqualite.com.au. It's scientific rehydration that Spiro's know and trust. I know because one works there, and that's why we've set up this discount code for you. 10% off when you use the code NoobSpiro at aqualite.com.au. Check it out. Australian-made hydration products tailored for Spiro's and a whole bunch of other people that suffer from dehydration too. But check it out at aqualite.com.au. Use the code NoobSpiro to save 10%. Mate, let's head on out with the faster round of questions. Um, we'll get into we'll get into some of your your philosophical stuff again if we can. Um, I might save a philosophical one for last. Um, what's the single best piece of advice you've ever been given for spearfishing? Um, would have been I think it was a Daniel Mann video where he said, "If you've got different spear guns, try and stick to the same brand and the same style." And that was really good advice because. I've found that I can easily – I've got three guns or different lengths. I've found I can easily switch between my different guns and they're just standard, you know, double rubber rail guns and they do the job and I can I can go from gun to gun depending on the visibility on the day and my aiming is generally pretty spot on. So that was, that was some really good advice that I'm stoked I've, I've taken. Love it. Who has been the most influential person or people in your spearfishing journey? Mm, I've got 
so many, to be honest. Um, but yeah, I'd say um, Wally from the dive shop. He was the one that you know, sort of, you know, gave me that um, that breath hold experience and um, so and, and took G- me out on the G- a couple of times. It's GT Diving Port Headland, isn't it? Mm, that's right. Shop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so he's been he's been really fundamental with it. And, yeah, cool. And yeah, and then uh, I'd probably say as well, just the YouTube videos I've checked out as well. Um, you know, Daniel Mann, I listed. He's got such a great channel, and I think I yeah. saw he's voted number one awesome spearfishing channel um, just recently. Yeah, and and yeah. Um, and Adam Stern as well. I've I've got some really good. Um, tips off him in terms of you know free dive technique and, and breath hold but yeah just yeah no i sort of just try and suck up as much info as possible and and i'd probably say the uh the noob Spiro podcast has been a huge oh. part of that equation too man like you know hats off to you dude the question wasn't gonna stop until you'd mentioned Noob Spiro yeah. for sure <laughs> <laughs> but also i'm, I'm stoked are there, you've enjoyed are there it. any other podcasts that may have influenced <laughs> <you>? <laughs> mate there's like 20 something spearfishing podcasts now. is that like, right like, yeah okay yeah and like there's a couple getting around in different languages mm. too and i only listen to get, one mate i'm loyal Ah, oh, you don't have to be. You can you can be promiscuous amongst your spearfishing potties if you like, buddy. There's a couple of crackers around there. I, I like the space we're in. It's a it's a rising tide. Um, who's the best person to go spearfishing with right now for you, and why? Oh, that's a tough one. I've got two two really great um guys that will spring to mind. Actually, three. <laughs> ben, okay. my dive buddy who helped save my life, he's obviously up there. He's got to be number one. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for him. And um, But, yeah, funnily enough, Ben and I hadn't done a huge amount of diving together as, as buddies, though. It just hasn't worked out. Competitions would um, tend to buddy up with other people, and, um, you know, he works a different roster to me, et cetera. So, uh, so yeah, it got, but Ben's certainly got to be on the list now. And then I've got um, got a mate, Max. He's just a really conscientious buddy. Um, he's he's a competent diver. He's also a very good uh, safety diver. You know, like he's he's someone who you know that when you go down, he's going to be there keeping an eye out for you. He's responsible and he's not going to make stupid decisions. And I think that the safety factor in a reliable buddy um, cannot be underestimated. Um, 100%. Equally, I've got another mate, Derek, who's, um, yeah, he's actually works at the same workplace as I do. Uh, we've both got, um, he's got a young son as well. So he's also a cracking dive buddy because there's often times we'd be on the boat together and take the boys out for a little mission and, um, you know, um, make a little a little family day of it. And that's, um, that's always nice. a good one as well. Yeah. Cool. Your favorite piece of equipment. What is your favorite piece of gear? Out of all your spearfishing gear that you've had, past or present, What's made something? What What's memorable? What do you you know? Why do you love it? Mm, probably, I'm torn, man, between my 1300 Rob Allen spear gun. Yeah. Um, just a simple, reliable bit of kit that I just love it, and I love the simplicity of it, and it just does the job for me. And I just find that I can shoot really well with that gun in particular. Um, but also my. Uh, my carbon fiber fins. I've got a set of um, sea juice fins um, made by a guy. I think he lives down in south, uh, southwest um, WA. Okay. And, um, I'd only ever use these shitty, like basically scuba diving style fins until then. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I got my hands on these carbon fibers, and I was like, "Oh my god, this is a game changer!" And 
yeah, it's just made the whole experience so much more enjoyable. And yeah, I just love them, man. And what's the brand? Uh, sea Juice. Sea Juice. Yeah, Sea Juiced. S e a d u c e d. I don't know if he's even still in production. Um, I've had these things for about four years now. So. Okay, cool. I like hearing about some more little niche innovators doing some cool stuff. And um, if they're working for you, they're working for you. So that's cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, last question, man. Big and philosophical. Could you describe what the spearfishing experience means to you in one sentence? Mm. It's relaxation. It's mindfulness. It's it fills my cup, man. Active mindfulness for for those of us with ADHD. Mm, yep. Yeah, I'm a hyperactive bastard. Although my mate did give me some Ritalin once, and uh, yeah, I apparently I'm not ADHD because it um because it actually perked me up. So that was I think, <laughs> a, I think that was a shock to all my mates. They're like, man, I would have sworn you were ADHD, but no, nah, I'm not. <laughs> Just an active bloke. Awesome, Robbie, mate. Um, I've had a I've had a blast chatting with you. People can come follow uh, your Instagram. That's incredibly inactive, but very cool. Bert goes bang <laughs> on Instagram. Is there anywhere else people can get hold of you? Um, uh, yeah, I've just well, I've got a I've had a YouTube for years. Again, even more inactive on that. Don't even think I've ever posted one video on YouTube. But I'll um, now I've got a bit of time on my hands. I might start banging a bit of shit up there as well. I've got a few hunting videos which I've made um, over the years, so I'll throw them up at some stage. And uh, but yeah, certainly the um, the Instagram will become a little bit more active on that for sure. Cool, awesome, buddy. Well, um, mate, thanks for making time for ch- to chat with me today. I really enjoyed hearing um, your firsthand experience of. Uh, of an encounter that really none of us want to experience, but mm. um, you did it with you did it with uh, with as much grace as any of us could hope to. I think. Yeah, no, thanks, man. I'm uh, yeah. Unfortunately, you get a bonus uh, WA episode, but um. <laughs> <laughs> WA part six. Yeah, all good, brother. Well, um, yeah, if yeah. you ever ever want to chat again, Robbie, you're always welcome on the podcast, brother. Yeah, no, thanks, man. Cheers. Take it easy, and uh, yeah, we'll hopefully speak again someday. Guys, for those of you that are still stayed tuned, and um, Robbie and I were just chatting about um, dealing with media after a major incident, and Robbie has some blinder tips and info for us. Mm, yeah, so hopefully none of you have been in the situation of, of having to confront the media after any sort of shark attack, but they absolutely hounded me, and I wouldn't let anyone pressure you into making a decision straight away. You've got time up your sleeve, and... You know, there is an opportunity to capitalise on it too. Um, I managed to just sign an exclusive deal with with one of the media companies. Um, basically, um, you know, negotiate with them. Don't accept the first offer that comes along because, you know, um, they could they could be shafting you a little bit. Um, but more importantly, go with someone that you think checks out that's going to represent your story accurately because there's a lot of sinister stuff that goes out there in the media and they can really twist this thing and make you seem like a, you know, a bad person. And yeah, I was kind of shocked that um, I actually had someone in the hospital, a media advisor come to me and they said, uh, you know, don't be surprised if they ask you questions like, don't you think it was irresponsible that you had your four-year-old son on the boat? Things like that. And I, yeah. I was like, well, I don't really because it's very safe. You know, he's got live jigs, da, da, da. But these are the kind of things they can do. They can really put you on the spot and screw you over. So my advice would be 
try and go with someone that your gut tells you as a good, genuine, honest person and, you know, and maybe even look at, um, you know, getting someone to, to help you on your behalf, like a, like an agent type of person if you're in that situation. Yeah, nice. Cheers, Robbie. Well, um, yeah, mate, and, and people can always look you up on Instagram if they do get in some sort of awful situation. Uh, yeah, but as you sure. said, you, you don't wish it on people, but Bert goes bang on Instagram and uh, reach out to Robbie. might be able to give you some words of wisdom. Yeah, uh, I've actually on that note too, mate. Had a lot of people reach out, you know, who've, who've been in similar circumstances, and you know, thanks to all those people, and you know, um, yeah, that's that's been a huge part of helping me through this as well. So, yeah, um, likewise, if anyone else is in the situation, feel free to reach out. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed it. Robbie's take on our spearfishing lifestyle. Um, so a really powerful story there, particularly um, just the way that attack went down and um, and the insights that he took away from it. I think um, there's stuff in there for us all and uh, an entertaining chap as well. Um, I'm hoping to get over and dive some some further north stuff uh, at some stage. And in celebration of that, next week I've got another Port Hedland local coming on. It's Wally Garley. Now, we mentioned him in the episode today. Uh, he owns GT Diving there in Port Hedland, so... Come back next week for another Port Hedland local. And um, yeah, and we've got some awesome things in 2023. Just want to thank all the patrons that have stuck with the show and uh, support this on an episode by episode basis. If you go to patreon.com forward slash Noob Spiro, um, jump on and support the show on an episode by episode basis. It's all appreciated. All that money turns into fuel that goes in the Noob Spiro outboard power in this podcast. That's it for me. Come back next week. Wally Garley, GT Diving. Boom. Today's episode was an absolute banger, and so is our major sponsor, Adreno. Visit them at adreno.com.au. They have a huge range of equipment. You can find it at adreno.com.au. Use the code NoobSpear at checkout. When you shop online, you can save $20 on every purchase over $200. You can even use that code in-store at some of their huge mega stores Australia-wide. Price be guarantee on any Australian spearfishing equipment price. Again, visit them at adreno.com.au. Use the code NoobSpear. The Noob Spiro Podcast is incredibly proud to be partnering with Neptonics.com. It's solid gear that works, equipment you can rely on. It's the very best in spearing gear from around the planet. Neptonics is also the one-stop shop for all your spearfishing gear, particularly in the US. They've got free shipping on all orders over $99 in the US. Furthermore, you can use the code NOOB10 to save 10% off on your entire shopping basket at Neptonics.com. Use the code NOOBSPIRO at Neptonics.com. Neptonics.com.